Um, I'd like to uh, start by reading from Psalm 13. If you've got a Bible, you might want to follow it. Otherwise, feel free just to listen. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look at me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. Lord God, we do thank you for your unfailing love. We do Rejoice in your salvation. You have been good to us. And uh, we come before you now this evening and um, there may be some here who are feeling that um, you're far from them, who are crying out to you and may not yet have heard the, the answers to their prayer. And maybe going forward just wondering when you will answer them. Lord, we do pray this evening you would meet each one of us where we are at, we thank you for that time we had this morning as we acknowledged our dependence on you, as we brought to you our, our various um, needs. And we thank you that you are there, you do listen to us. And so we do pray this evening that we would know your presence, that we would uh, be re- reminded of your, your unfailing love. That whatever does happen to us in our lives, that you are there for us. And so we do pray this evening that um, you would lift us up, and you would enable us to rejoice in your salvation. Help us to bring you our praises and bring you them um, with rejoicing, with the right frame of mind, knowing your goodness to us. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This group are going to come up and um, lead us in uh, a few songs to start our service. I'm going to hang over to Steve. Thanks, Steve. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, pour out your Spirit on us today. Um, we're looking at some series this, uh, this Sunday and the next um, couple of weeks in Habakkuk. And um, Elizabeth is now going to come up and um, read the first chapter for us. The reading is taken from Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. Habakkuk's complaint. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong, destruction and violence are before me? There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralysed and justice never prevails. The wicked are in the righteous so that justice is perverted. The Lord's answer. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, 
that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a lord to themselves and promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps to capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. Habakkuk's second complaint. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. We're going to look at that passage in just a minute, but before we do so, we're going to, to sing again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that you give us. We thank you that it's not something that we drum up ourselves, but that it's rooted firmly on a foundation, rooted on the righteousness of Christ and the sacrifice that you made for us, and that you have removed that cancer, that sin, from us if we have come and accepted your salvation through Christ. And Lord, we thank you that you have enabled us to be able to bring these gifts or these offerings to you. We bring them not simply to pay for the work of the church, although we thank you that they will be used for that and we pray for your wisdom in using them wisely, but we bring them as part of our worship of you and an expression of our love for you. So we bring these gifts and ask that you will take them and use them and uh, we want to say to them that we love you. Thank you that you're with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles handy, do please turn back to that passage that uh, Elizabeth read for us from Habakkuk 1. Last uh, major revival in the UK took place in Wales in 1904-05 when it's estimated that, uh, that 100,000 people were converted during that time. Uh, church meetings were packed out night after night. Whole communities were changed and uh, that spark 
apparently uh, ignited fires across a dozen or so countries. Uh, and ever since Christmas, this country has been calling out to God for a, a further revival and the salvation of this country. So how has he answered those prayers? Well, look at the situation of the UK today. Politically, we've had since then two world wars in which um, nearly 100 million people have died. have experienced a cold war against the Soviet Union. It's in a gross of Islamic extremism and attacks on Western countries, wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria and the spread of Al-Qaeda. Spiritually, church going and the number of people who call themselves uh, Christians has just declined in this country quite dramatically, as we heard last week from, from Andy Patterson. Morally, values have declined dramatically with uh, abortion and divorce now virtually on demand, growth in internet pornography and gambling, huge rise in broken families and their children growing up without fathers, and a massive increase in crime from 2.4 indictable offences per thousand of the population in 1900 to 89.1 today. We're about to start a short three-part series on the book of Habakkuk and the depressing situation that faces us today in this country is many ways similar to that facing Habakkuk in the 7th century BC. That time Israel had been divided into two kingdoms. Uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, which was conquered by Assyria in 725 BC, and its citizens carried off into captivity. And the southern kingdom of Judah, which was still independent but feeling quite, quite vulnerable. And that is where Habakkuk is. He's in Judah. He's despairing at the moral and spiritual state of the southern kingdom. And this is how he starts um, his complaint in verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. In short, the nation has turned away from God and it started to worship false gods and follow wrong paths. And the result of that religious backsliding is moral and political decline. And Habakkuk is crying out to God, do something about it. Now he's appealing to God that all this goes against his laws, against his character. Why do you tolerate it, God? You know, when you so easily just put a stop to it. Well, the more we grow in our faith, the more Christ-like we become, the harder we find it to tolerate injustice and sin. Before we're converted, if you can think back to those days, you know, when we're in the world, uh, everything seems sort of okay. We can put up with um, swearing and minor violence or injustice, but when we begin to see things through God's eyes, stuff that we previously thought, well, it's okay, becomes harder to deal with. And that is often why Christians retreat from the world. When Habakkuk dies, the situation in Judah has hit rock bottom. It says in verse 4, Therefore the law is paralysed, justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. It's become a lawless state. The wicked are control, in control, there's no justice. It's like the wild west. And Habakkuk is saying to God, you're a God of justice, you're a God of righteousness, do something about it. And he's frustrated because he's been crying out for so long and it appears that God is not listening. How long, O Lord, must I call for help that you do not listen? And if we're crying out 
for our nation, for the church, and I hope we are. It may feel like God is silent. For crying out for those who we know who are dear to us, our family members, our friends who don't know God, who are not yet saved. It may feel like God is silent. What do we do in this situation? Also, three things I want to mention for you this evening. First is that trust that God knows what he is doing. Trust that God knows what he is doing. The amazing thing about the book of Habakkuk is that God answers, but in a completely unexpected way. So like uh, if you remember Roald Dahl's Tales of the Unexpected, goes back a few years. It is that sense of a tale of the unexpected. Now Habakkuk's prayer is perfectly reasonable. He's saying, look, there's wickedness here, there's injustice, deal with that and revive us. Make us more committed, make us a holy nation again. But what does God do? Have a look at this side. This is what God says. His answer to Habakkuk is, look, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law for themselves and promote their own honour. It's surprising because God is going to use a nation that is far worse, far more evil than Judah to correct them to achieve his, his righteous amends. And that is not the answer that Habakkuk is expecting here. And he's probably thinking, oh no, what have I done now? A bit like um, if you've seen The Hobbit, Bilbo Baggins, in that second uh, film of the trilogy, when he goes to retrieve the, the Arkenstone from Erebor, and in the process wakes the dragon, who's been sleeping for a years. And uh, there's this big battle, and the dragon escapes and goes off to go and destroy the town of Lake Town, the nearby Lake Town. He's probably thinking, why didn't I just leave it? Why did I have to raise it? Why didn't I just leave it as it was? Having cried out, do something, Lord, when God tells Habakkuk what he's decided to do, he then cries out again and says, that's not what they meant. (laughs) How can you do this? How's that going to help the situation? I mean, do something that won't involve pain or further injustice or evil. No. And so in verses 12 to 17, he appeals to God's holy nature, he appeals to God's character to question his plans. And he says there, look in verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? It's like, okay, we're not perfect as a nation, We've made mistakes, but we're not half as bad as the Babylonians. We have to trust that God knows what he's doing. If you look back at the, the 20th century, millions of people were praying that um, Germany would be defeated in the Second World War. And when that did finally happen, there was a sense of rejoicing, wasn't it? Our, our prayers are answered. God hates violence, he hates oppression, and he's dealt with it. You know, we can understand that answer to prayer. But then you say, well, why did he allow the rising up of, of communism, all those godless communist states after the war? Surely that can't have been a part of his plan. But now as we look back, we see, well, that was just a, another temporary thing. God has removed many of those, those leaders. We can see how the church in some of those countries was growing in the midst of persecution. Now, actually, now many of those countries, particularly in China, the church is much stronger today 
than it is here. And so while we've lived in freedom and peace and comfort, it actually hasn't helped the spiritual health of this country. And the same sometimes can be said of our personal lives. Kind of, when we call out to God, it is often wanting him to, to deal with our problems in a very simple way. Just get, get rid of them. Make them go away. If I'm sick, make me well. If I'm, if I'm broke, give me money, give me a job. If I'm lonely, give me a friend. And sometimes God, God does answer in those ways. You know, he has compassion on us. He, illness and poverty and loneliness are not part of God's original plan for the world. But often he chooses not to take them away immediately. Because he knows that the thing we need most is actually a deeper relationship with him. And that doesn't always come about through a simple solution to our problem. For Judah, the answer to Habakkuk's prayer was for them to be defeated by Babylon, uh, to spend nearly 50 years in captivity before God raised up another nation, Persia, to defeat the Babylonians and then to allow them to, to return to, to their homeland. And during that time, they learned many things. It was mainly about the importance of obedience to God. And if you read the, the book of Daniel, it's a great... Uh, example of that. They had to come back and rebuild their broken nation. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. And depend on God every step of the way. God often needs to bring us to the end of ourselves before he brings us out of our trials and rebuilds us. We don't know why God has allowed the church in this country to get into the state it is today. Let me just read to something that Sir Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote in 1953. This is 60 years ago. This is what he said. He said, um, I wonder what our fathers would have thought 40 years ago, so this is going back to 1913, if they could have had a preview of the state of the Christian church today. They were unhappy enough about things even then. They were already having meetings for revival and for seeking God. If they could see the church at the present time, they would not believe their eyes. They could never have imagined that spiritually the church could have sunk so low. Yet God has allowed this to happen. It has been an unexpected answer. We must hold on to the hope that he has allowed things to become worse before they finally become better. Now that was 60 years ago. Think how he would feel if he saw the church today. Now, we don't know why God has allowed that to happen. It may be, as, as Andy was suggesting last week, that, that he's removed that sense of nominalism, that, that, that comfortable church-going mentality. He's reduced the church down to those who are serious in their faith, who humbly rely on the gospel, not on themselves, who humbly rely on the salvation in Jesus Christ, who are, not, who are prepared to take up their cross and follow Christ. And maybe from that remnant to build his church again. Always be prepared for the unexpected when you're dealing with God. Don't tell God how he should answer your prayers. Cry out to him. Cry out to, do, to deal with injustice, to have mercy on those who, who are rejecting him, who are living their lives their way. But trust in his way of dealing with those issues. Second um, way we, we deal with a situation, and, and more, more brief, don't fear the mockers. When God answers Habakkuk, he says, For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe. 
even if you were told. He knows that people are going to find this hard to believe for the reasons we've mentioned already. You know, Babylon is, is at that stage insignificant. And why would God choose to use an evil nation to achieve his purposes? And throughout the Bible there are instances where God is warning people and people just deliberately ignore those warnings. They can't understand, looking at a situation today, how God would allow that to happen. Noah and the flood. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah. And of course in Jesus' time the Jewish leaders ignored the warnings that Jesus brought them. He came in person and told them. And yet they ignored him. Let's just turn to, to the New Testament briefly to Acts um, chapter 13 and verse 38. This is Paul addressing the, the Jews in the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. Acts 13, 38, this is what he says. He says, Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Take care, though, that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. He's quoting here from Habakkuk. He's saying, are you just going to be a scoffer? Or are you going to believe what I say to you? And that makes it hard for us today, though, doesn't it, if we are Christians, because um, we can believe that God works in mysterious ways, but we're living in a world that scoffs at that sort of thing. It's one thing for us to accept that that God knows what he's doing, that it will turn out well in the end, but we're constantly receiving a different message from the world. Christianity is ridiculed, isn't it, in the media? Because the world's judgment of success is about who has the visible power and influence now at this time. And it's no different then in many ways, also. You know, think about how the Assyrians felt when they rose up in power. Think how the Babylonians felt when they rose up in power. Or the Persians, when they did, they would all have thought, look at us, we have made it. It's down to our military strength, our wealth, our skill. And it's the same today. Pride comes from military strength, from economic strength, being the most up-to-date. And people look at the church and think, what do they bother? They've got outdated views, outdated practices, outdated people. I was at a minister's uh, gathering recently where Dick Lucas, who was the rector at St. Helen for many years, he's now nearly 90, um, but still very much with it. He said, um, to be honest, I don't really watch songs of praise anymore because um, there are never any young people on it. You know, it's almost, um, he's saying, a deliberate ploy to show that the church is out of touch with the world. The churches do have young people in there. They are thriving. What is the message that the media is trying to portray? Now, a new building like ours is, in many ways, going against the grain. It is showing that the church, church is healthy, it is growing. But let's not fall into the same trap and rely on our building for gaining the respect of those around us. It's our faith that we rely on and our trust that God will work his plans out. The biggest problem of the church in the UK over the last 150 years or so uh, and the reason for its decline is that it has bought into the culture, it's bought into the world. It's compromised its beliefs. It hasn't been able to stand up to the scoffing of the world. 
And so when the world says, well, you don't believe in miracles, do you? You don't believe that Jesus was literally raised from the dead. You know, the, the church says, well, you know, not literally, no, of course, it's just a, a symbolic thing, isn't it? When the world says, you don't believe in a judgment day, do you? People say, well, well, you know, we'll all be okay in the end, won't we? Trust that God knows what he's doing and don't fear the mockers. And finally, remember that God is eternal. What is the first thing that Habakkuk says in his second complaint? Have a look at uh, verse 12. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? Are you not from everlasting? We live in this world for a very short time, don't we? Um, Whether God chooses to take us to be with him at an early age, whether he chooses to allow us to live to, uh, to old age. It doesn't matter who was in power five years ago, let alone ten years or twenty years, the only thing that matters to the world is who is in power today. Human leaders will come and go. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. God created time. God started that that historical process. God is still in control of it. He will bring it to an end in his timing. And we have to remember that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He can see the end from the beginning. And we cannot. We can only see very faintly. The great um, uh, email which Cathy Andrews actually passed on recently, which she's received, and um, compares our limited understanding of the universe, of of God, with um, the understanding of a baby in the womb. Think of a baby in the womb. This This is how it goes. In the mother's womb, with two babies. One asks the other, do you believe in life after delivery? The other replies, well, of course, there has to be something after delivery. Maybe we're here to prepare ourselves for what we will be later. Nonsense, says the other. There's no life after delivery. What would life, that life be? I don't know, but, you know, there'll be more light than here. Maybe we will walk with our legs and eat from our mouths. The other says, this is absurd, walking is impossible, and eat with our mouths, ridiculous. You know, the umbilical cord supplies nutrition. Life after delivery is to be excluded. The umbilical cord is too short. I think there is something, and maybe it's different than it is here, the other replies. No one has ever come back from there. Delivery is the end of life, and in the after delivery it's nothing but darkness and anxiety, and it takes us nowhere. Well, I don't know, says the other but certainly we will see Mother, and she will take care of us. Mother? You believe in Mother? Where, where is she now? Well, she's all around us. It's in her that we live. Without her, there would not be this world. I don't see her, so it's only logical that she doesn't exist. To which the other replied, well, sometimes when you're in silence, you can hear her. You can perceive her. I believe there is a reality after delivery. And we are here to prepare ourselves for that reality. Historical events are not just random. God didn't just wind it up and let it go and see what would happen. Things happen for a reason. And God knows when to to bless his people. God knows when to to discipline his people. He knows who to use to achieve his, uh, his perfect plans. And it was, as it says in Galatians, when the time had fully come that God sent his Son into this world. It was after the period of the Greek philosophers, after the Romans came and established a, a system of government, a legal go- a system, a, a, the infrastructure. 
God chose for a point in history to send his son. If we are to, to think like God, then we need to take an eternal perspective. Now, obviously, we can't see the future like God can. We don't know what will happen over the next century. We don't know when Jesus will come again. But we do know, as God has promised, that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but have eternal life. And God also promises us in uh, verse 14 of chapter 2 of Habakkuk, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The future is bright. But Adam can talk to us about that next week. Well, as I finish, what is happening to the church in the West is not accidental. History is about God establishing his kingdom on earth. It's about him calling a people out of the world to be a part of his kingdom. So when strange things happen, let's trust that it is part of God's plan. Don't fear, don't fear the mockers. Remember that God is eternal. He can see the end from the beginning. And when strange things happen in your life, again, trust that God wants the best for you, that he knows what he's doing. Ask, ask yourself, what is God teaching me through this? Is there something maybe that's gone wrong in my life but that he wants me to address? God's character doesn't change. He's always just, he's always loving, he always wants the best for his children. And that is for us to become more like Jesus Christ. Let me finish with some words from, from Romans 8. Familiar words. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What I'd like to do now is just have a time of prayer and um, can I just encourage you to get into small groups of, of maximum four, um, and just share two prayer requests each. First of those is, what do you want more than anything else? What do you cry out to God for? What is it that you really want God to answer? And as you think about that question, just ask yourself, are you prepared for God to make that happen in an unexpected way which you might actually find quite hard, which you may actually not like? Is that still what you want to cry out to God for more than anything else? Just share that with um, those around you. And the second one, I just pray for a situation of injustice as well. You know a situation of injustice may be local to you, maybe in your life, or maybe further afield in a country where you know there's just injustice going on, where evil seems to be prospering. Just maybe share something within your small group. Just a bit of time to pray then together and just encourage you to be honest and open with one another and uh, time of praying and then we'll close shortly Lord we do thank you that we can trust in you that your ways are the best ways they're not our ways they're your ways your thoughts are not our thoughts so as we do cry out to you for things that are important to us or in our hearts Lord we do so trusting that you know best how to answer them and we do so submitting to your will and knowing that you are a, an eternal God, a loving God, a God who wants to build his kingdom. And so we uh, bring all these uh, requests to you now and ask that um, you would answer them in your way. 
and give us the patience um, to wait for the answer, the right answer. In Jesus' name, amen.